Hello, 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 and welcome to the 21st episode of the Economical Rice Podcast. I'm your host, Danny, and over here, we have to serve you the grains of capitalism. Now, unless you've been living under a rock for the past 20 years, you would have noticed that we have gone through quite a dramatic period of technological advancement. From smartphones to the internet to sharing economies, technology that did not exist as much as 5 or 10 years ago have now radically changed our lives, be it through increasing access, increasing choice, or improving efficiency. Moreover, what is also crucial is the aspect of decentralization or demarketization that takes place under innovation and disruption, which enables individuals to better participate in markets all over the world. Take Airbnb, for example. It used to be the case that only a select group of companies or individuals could provide short-term accommodation because of the huge capital requirement to build and renovate properties. These days, you can rent out so long as you have a spare bedroom and internet access. Further, consider this very podcast itself, where 20 years ago the only people who could produce audio content were in the radio industry, nowadays all you need is a decent microphone, some editing software, and something to talk about. Therein lies the beauty of innovation and disruption, enabling and empowering people with all the tools to shape your own future. However, technological advancement, for all the wonderful benefits it has brought to individuals and society, is rarely ever thought of in a vacuum. And for every praise we hear of the wonders of innovation, there is always a concerned rebuttal about how increased automation will make human beings redundant. Such was the case with a report by the International Bar Association, which predicts that machines or software may one day replace roughly a third of graduate-level jobs, or how according to a study by McKinsey & Company, an estimated 30% of the tasks in roughly 60% of all occupations could be computerized. Underpinning these certainly worrying predictions is the notion that once these workers have been replaced by automation, that they will lack the skills required to find a job in this newly technologically changed world, a concept which is known as structural unemployment in economics. So, are we humans left to die out with the increased future automation and the rise of the AI industry? Is there nothing we can do to stem the tide and remain relevant in an increasingly digitized world? Fortunately, it is with great pleasure that I am able to have today's guest, founder Daniel Shen and his partner Praz of the startup Sokol, on today's show to respond to these cries of concern. Now, to describe Sokol as unique is a bit of an understatement, as they aim to introduce blockchain and tokenization to social networks so as to incentivize learning and development to remain relevant in a changing world. In this episode, we'll be going over the problems that Sokol sees in the world, how Sokol as a business aims to eradicate these problems, and the many moving parts that make Sokol tick. So without further ado, let's get on with the interview. Daniel Ampras, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. So, we have a packed episode today, and uh, I'm going to jump right into the meat of it. Okay. So, in the introduction, I mentioned some problems that might come about through technological disruptions such as job loss and human redundancy. But before we jump into the issue in detail, could you brief- briefly describe, in your view, why technological disruption is problematic and how did you first come, up- come across this problem? Okay, technology disru- uh, disruption being problematic could be true to people who are being disrupted, <clears throat> but it could either be the ones being disrupted or be the ones um, disrupting it. Hmm. And if you're the ones disrupting it, um, do you have the ability to create something that's powerful enough for even other people who are being disrupted to mm. kind of come along the journey? Mm. So what, what we think is the right thing to do is, in terms of technology disruption, using that in the right way to be able to benefit people who might be otherwise um, in a disadvantageous situation. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to achieve is to, to help people to um, be able to get the required skill Mm. and knowledge to be able to contribute and do that uh, at the right time. <clears throat> so that's a kind of goal um, from what Soka is trying to achieve from a disruption perspective. Mm. I see. So do you have anything to add to that? Sure. I mean, disruption as, as, it, as it implies is, mm. leads to a certain element of disorientation. Yeah. People feel very uncomfortable with disruption. And technology has, has always been an enabler. Mm-hmm. It's something that people use as, as a means to achieve a certain end. Yeah. And when disruption takes place, as Dan rightly pointed out, uh, you can participate as the person disrupting something, 
or you are the recipient of the disruption mm-hmm. and <clears throat> after going through a temporary period of displacement you have to come back to the to the new routine that has been set because of this uh, disruption mm-hmm. and that's where a platform like sockel actually comes in and says hey this is where the world is headed towards in case you missed it and you are hit like you are like hit with a truck or a bus don't yeah. worry you can still orient yourself back yeah. life doesn't end here so that's the kind of message we wanted to pass yeah i see that's very interesting the point about you know how how technology can really hit you and 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 knock you off your path so this is certainly some of the problem with um structural unemployment that i highlighted earlier in the introduction as well also in several of uh sockel's blog posts and medium i noticed that you guys talk uh, talk a lot about this factor of uh, human capital so could you could you explain what human capital is and why it is so important okay so human capital being is a huge topic Mm-hmm. Um, if you do a Google on it, it, it stretches all kinds of different pages, all kinds of different topics. Yeah. What we are trying to focus on is around the topic of productivity. Mm-hmm. When the world is moving so fast and mm-hmm. technology is required to, um, is is pushing it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we as humans be able to keep keep up and be as good or even better than it? Mm-hmm. And if we don't, then we be and we are going to be the ones who are removed by it. So myself being in the bank, um, JP Morgan for almost up to ten years now. Mm-hmm. Have seen this disruption happening in the teams around me. Mm. Every year, there's at least ten percent gone. Every and, and it's based on technology uh, enhancements and progress in the in the in the team. Mm. And people are always told that they are leaving. They have to be let go because of structural improvements here and there. Mm. But in reality, everyone is trying to improve um, how every how processes are being done, mm. which in reality creates excess uh, production. Um, which is a term that that is happening in, in human capital. Yeah. So when you have excess um, and people at the top are deciding how are you going to manage the excess, are you going to trade away mm. or are you going to create new things off the back of it? Mm. A problem that uh, society has today is we're not may not be at the level of creating something out of thin air to be able to move this excess to the right places. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's this human capital that we are trying to improve whereby can people actually... Um, come up with the right things um, and even in a certain case assisted by artificial intelligence mm. to be able to create and not just destroy. Mm. So so in, in, in a sense what, what you sort of uh, pointed out was that you know we've, we've become so good at improving and at bettering ourselves and nowadays that there's a problem of you know too much uh, too much production too much productivity and there, there, there comes the risk of oh you know Maybe there's a is an easier sure. way or a cheaper yeah. way where automation can sort of there, there's also a fine balance between mm. when you have excess productivity yeah. or produ- uh, excess I mean ex- excess produce. Mm. Um, at the same time, we do need to keep up with technology mm. and be able to create this type of excess produce to be able to move in the right direction. Mm. Right now, a lot of um, we are getting a lot of benefits um, from a lot of technology technological advancements mm. like Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, yet, are we using and spending the time that we save in these platforms in the right way? Mm. Um, that is something that we think, from an excess produce perspective, we're not utilizing. We're not utilizing in the right way. Um, we spend a lot of time, which goes kind of the next point I think on. on we spend a lot of time on um, browsing endlessly on social networks, but we save a lot of time on, for example, Amazon. Where do we spend the time that we have saved on from shopping on Amazon? Mm. Um, do we spend our time well? Are we just spending them on an endless loop on Facebook and, and Instagram? Yeah. So that's kind of one part where we have to improve ourselves, be better at what we can do and so that we can make better decisions about how we can spend time more effectively. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is certainly a very, very interesting point that you brought up about the balance between, you know, technological progress at the same time, you know, the benefits it brings, how do you make, make good use of that time uh, so to, to, to benefit yourself? So I, I want to focus on that a little bit more, right? Because like, you know, you read about all these articles talking about, you know, complaining about technological disruption, forecasting doomsday, you know, saying, you know, how we're all going to be replaced. Some of them are saying that, you know, maybe we should cut back on the technology. Right. Certainly, you guys don't think this is the case. So, why do you guys tend to put yourselves on this side of you know we want more technology, but we want it to help us rather than oh let's scale back and and maybe maybe we can just chill out a little bit. Or sure. I like to take the scenario of, for example, Transformers. Yeah. Where you have the bad use of technology, like you have the the, the Decepticons who are yeah. destroying Earth. Uh, yet at the same time, you have the Autobots. Mm-hmm. which are c- coming in to offset and challenge the bad side of um, use of technology. Mm. So we see that we are the ones creating the Autobots. 
Mm. Um, and we want to be the ones, for example, using AI, blockchain, um, and even other technologies out there like Internet of Things to mm. be able to create this, um, this reality. Mm. And, but in order for this reality to happen, people need to be able to move themselves forward and mm. be more productive in the time mm. um, to be able to do that. Because otherwise, it's robots controlling humans. Yeah. So to be able to be on the same stage and be on the same level um, as these robots, we have to be able to use the right infrastructure and the right technologies. Yeah. Any points you want to add? No, I think he, he was kind of right off, uh, right off uh, on track on, on, on that. I mean, t- you sometimes can't control technology. Mm. I mean, as much as you say you don't want further technology, yeah. it's not in our control to, to stop it. What yeah. we can do ourselves is kind of arm and defend ourselves, which is the point that Dan made. Mm. I'm completely in resonation with that concept and that's kind of what drives us. Yeah, I see. So whenever, you know, story about like uh, technology, technological disruption comes in, you know, how Uber is displacing all the taxi drivers. Are we are we not to be sympathetic when when news like this come up, news news such as these or stories such as these come about? There's a very interesting um, thought that I have around it from a philosophical standpoint. Yeah, and a lot of times there there are two views out there where number one, Armageddon, jobs lost, people yeah. are just gone. Yeah, and then there's there's another one whereby it says um, like based on history, jobs are lost but new jobs are being created. Mm. Um, and there are arguments on both sides. And and for me, I think it's going to be um, not just necessarily new jobs mm. being created, but also refocus into certain areas which today are being under um, underlooked at. Mm. So um, when jobs are going to be displaced and people need to be able to adapt much faster, that's mm. number one that, that needs to be solved. How do we adapt ourselves to new needs in the market? Yeah. Yet we are we are we are facing problems around awareness. Um, what we what can be done, hmm. and number two, where can we go next? And it may in in and in my opinion, we may try. We, we are trying to solve a problem about distance and geographical uh, problems as well. So hmm. why can't someone in Singapore help someone in India, China, or other locations in Vietnam, hmm. and and help certain areas where might require certain form of uh, improvements hmm. or uh, enhancements. Which also means that um, that we might be able to solve certain stuff like overcrowding, mm. where people might not just be able to improve in the capitals of a city, a country, mm-hmm. but rather move out towards other parts of the country and improve those. So mm. it might be able, we, we might be looking at spreading of talent across mm. a wider geographical um, range mm. instead of just focusing on one, which is typically the capital of a of a of a of a, of a country. Mm. So I think there are quite a few ways, but also using technology in a right way to predict this and create. Mm. Um, so one of what we're trying to achieve in Soka is uh, end of the um, using blockchain as well, combined with AI, mm. to be able to tell people what they can do, or in another way as well, maybe what the robots can do is create jobs for us. Mm. Um, can it predict um, and and look at what can be created? And then tell us what we can do uh, to better and improve what we're doing. So that is something that, that we think from a philosophical standpoint that we want to achieve. we've uh, sort of uh, discussed and identified the problem you know I, w- I want to talk about the solution that you've you've identified with uh, Sokol right so firstly before we get into what Sokol does today could you talk me through the early stages you know how did this idea come about you know integrating all the different elements that it has the blockchain the digitization the gamification all the incentives and everything and you know what other solutions did you consider before okay so our our Initial um, product was a pretty basic, straightforward automation of matching students and companies. Mm. So, Pros and I, we met on a MIT online fintech course, mm-hmm. um, which we went through two months of new technologies out there. How can we apply? Uh, which eventually got me out of the bank. Yeah. But uh, but through those, we we opened, I got enlightened about what kind of technologies were available. So there was a concept of robo advisors. Mm. Um, Pros and I, we are both. Um, Pretty, we like to look at different horizontals, different verticals, mm. and trying to apply different technologies in different areas. So mm. we I, we looked at robo advisors in a coaching 
um, industry. So can we have robo-coaches hmm. to automate? Right now, we have coaches that are existing out there in the, in the market. Mm-hmm. They can maybe meet a few students every day. But what if you have a robotic robotic coach that can help millions of um, students hmm. to, to and using data and, and, and stuff like that? So initially, we were looking at robot, robotic coaches um, and matching students to companies based on those coaches. Mm. Um, and then we, we kind of looked at, oh, you know what? That's kind of not good enough because it's, it's um, not as strong as what we felt that we could achieve based on the kind of philosophy that we had in our mind as we started to kind of grow. Mm. So we looked at, okay, um, problems that students were facing. How about um, can we... There's so much information overload that students are people are facing, especially students, because students or rather people, all of us get bombarded with Facebook, Instagram, all the yeah. different platforms. Yeah. And in reality, we get bombarded because there are so many different systems out there and it's all championed by different people. Mm. Um, and if you look at VCs and, and mentors and advisors, they always go in a direction whereby you have to just focus on one thing and be extremely focused on one thing, which means that everyone is just doing one thing. Mm. And therefore, we have a million things. So, and unfortunately, they're all kind of backed with a lot of funding around trying to capture our attention. So we have this problem of people being bombarded with all kinds of different things. So we were thinking of doing an aggregator. Mm. Um, We're building an aggregator like a sky scanner. Yeah. um, But not just flights, but across jobs, gigs, events, uh, freelance opportunities, putting them all together in one place. Yeah. Yet, uh, so we did that. We launched it. That was the first iteration, second iteration rather, and then we, 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 we then went into, we asked some students, what do you think? Interesting, not good enough. So we went to second iteration, we're like, okay, what else can we do? Mm. Um, we got to the point whereby the question that we were often asking people mm. is, if you had 30 minutes, um, would you rather spend it on Instagram or would you spend that on something more productive? <laughs> and most of the time, it's Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so we, that was the basis of the question. It's like, okay, if you have this, Instagram yeah. and you have an aggregator it's Instagram <laughs> we, we, we carried on that quite a few times okay Instagram then there was one part which was interesting was okay what if you can uh, what if you can see what your friends are doing and join them along the journey hmm. so that was that was that started off into this journey of, okay what if I had a social network yeah. uh, or a LinkedIn in a way yeah. whereby I can actually see what my friends are interested in hmm. and actually I can message them and ask them why not we, we do something together because that's what is lacking today. Hmm. Uh, I think Pras was mentioning earlier on as well in a, in a previous uh, talk where where all of us are so connected yet we are so so put apart hmm. um, and we don't know our friends enough well. Like for me to create this, I had to message all of my friends and hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? And I got no replies. Hmm. <laughs> can we have a, can we, why not we have a system that can actually do it a reverse way where I can say, this is what I want to do who wants to help me? Mm. Instead of me saying, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? And I'm going, obviously, going nowhere. Um, So eventually, some of them said yes. Then we're like, okay, how about if you can earn tokens? Hmm. Then we started to go into, okay, they said, yes, that's interesting. Um, That's where we started to go a lot deeper into using tokens, digital tokens in a smart way. Mm. Um, And we evolved into using blockchain. Um, not just for the tokens in terms of um, as a growth hacking method, but also solving problems around reputation um, of people and how can they capture what they're doing and replacing, for example, how influencers are, are influencing them yeah. in, the, in the social networks. Yeah. So that's kind of um, how I got to where we are yeah. in terms of um, the final yeah. where we are right now. That's interesting. I really love the point you brought up about, you know, <laughs> the little anecdote you brought about when you ask people, but right, like, like, which one would you rather be on Instagram or, or this, or this place where you can see, see what are people doing, right? And they would rather choose Instagram. You know, you, 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 and you talk about how as coming up with a solution, you're moving towards one, a platform whereby now you as a user, you can see what your friends are up to. They can, they can sort of broadcast what their projects are, uh, are available to them and then they can ask for <laughs> participation and you can take part and you can earn tokens along the way and stuff like that, right? But, you know, in some sense, aren't you, aren't you already seeing a little bit of that within social media and, and already always, or do you think it's different? Because like, normally when you go to Instagram or you go to Facebook, people always post their, their achievements, people always post, you know, they, they like to be proud about, you know, they, if I'm on some project or if, if I did something, if I ran 5k. Understood. Yeah. So, so how, how is that different from uh, what we see today? So the problem that, um, 
let me ask you that question. So on LinkedIn, you see a lot of news, a lot yeah. of updates. Yeah. Do you often follow up offline and search those topics? Mm. Um, do you actually follow up with the person and go, let's catch up offline and talk about it? Mm. Uh, do you actually create a group sim- mm. with a similar interest mm. that is driven from some of his posts? Um, not often, I would presume. Mm. No. I mean, I mean, I, I, I can imagine there's, there's some cases whereby, okay, if you're interested in some, something, then you, you know, maybe you, you, you chat the guy up, you send him a message, say, hey, I'm looking to get involved in this project. How can I get involved? But not, not, certainly not for every single thing or single, single article that, that, that comes and up. Yeah. What was interesting was also another experiment that we did was, yeah. um, we looked at, for example, LinkedIn. Yeah. And, uh, and one example was people will message you and ask for help. Hmm. Or they'll ask you questions, ask you, okay, oh, I'm doing this thing, I'm going into maybe my first job. Hmm. Um, can you give me some tips and advice? Yeah. Um, and I get that, I, I get that as well. Uh, and a lot of times, you don't have the incentive or you don't feel like you want to, you want to answer those questions. Yeah. You don't know the person. Yeah. So there's no incentive at all. Um, so what, but if the person is going to be rewarded with a token, mm. that changes. I see. If I ask you that question, if I were to message you on LinkedIn and ask you about some question around tax or audit, and yeah. I say, hey, I'm having this problem, completely random. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Can you help me? Yeah. You probably will ignore me. Yeah, yeah, Especially yeah. when you're on a train, you're walking yeah, home, yeah. who is this guy? Yeah. But if I tell you you're going to get five tokens, Mm. And these tokens have a certain value, maybe in your mind, mm-hmm. um, maybe up, maybe down, or you can be used for certain things. You can use it for exchange of maybe use these tokens to get mentors yourself. Mm. Would you put in a one minute to answer that question? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, in in, in a sense, this is this is really really fascinating what you're trying to do here. And and, and now we're go- we're gonna talk a little bit more about like all this uh, the tokens and the gamification and the incentive incentives that you're introducing at Sokol. You know, I, I find it fascinating. You know, so you you ask me right, like if if a random stranger asks for advice, would I give it willingly, like or, or voluntarily? And, and the answer is probably no. But in, in in reality, right, if you think about it, you know, as it stands today, if if a friend asks you that, the answer will change, right? Yeah. Exactly. But but then here here what you're doing now introducing all these incentives is that you're building a sort of a, a sort of creating a market <coughs> out of out of creating all these uh, tasks and and and, it, and it's I think it's quite fascinating how how you're using the software as a platform to do that right so can I add one point yeah so what's one thing to add to that as you just right as you just mentioned yes if it's a good friend asking me the question I will answer the question right I will answer yeah. the person if it's a random stranger I will not answer the question yeah exactly the same answer mm. that I will give <clears throat> um. So we did our analysis, Pras and I, on, on why this is the case. And, and Pras is extremely strong in behavior economics and game theory. Mm. And the, the thought that we have is tokens, the value of a token is non-tangible in most cases. It's not tied to any certain, as you know, um, certain store or certain values that we can easily recognize in a normal day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's subjective. Mm. So therefore, it's non-tangible which is the same as goodwill. Mm. When a friend asks me for help, it's goodwill. Mm-hmm. If I get a token for the goodwill, it's the same non-tangible value, uh, non-tangible um, exchange that is being done. Yeah. So we personally, we, we feel that that is the right way where tokens can be used mm-hmm. when a real life scenario, which is goodwill, is being, is, is being represented mm-hmm. um, for tokens. So therefore, this is what we, we designed this for. And then the second part to that is the design of behavioral economics where mm. um, between two scenarios whereby you have no intrinsic motivation, there's no reason for me to help you because I don't learn, I don't grow, I don't gain anything out of it. Yeah. But when there's an extrinsic benefit, yeah. either in terms of a social status that I'll get, which is what we call signaling, mm. um, or a certain monetary value or some other something similar or external benefit, mm. then chances are that it's gonna that's gonna work. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you also have a crowding effect whereby I think I'll gain in terms of learning, but I'll gain a token. This usually on an intrinsic maybe for that intrinsic value I would kind of go no it's not good enough I'll just I'll just leave I won't answer the question I'll close the box mm. even though I might learn something. Mm. But if there's something that is extrinsic that will what we call crowd out the intrinsic, I will still do it. Mm-hmm. So what it does is we are trying to create both. So in this platform, people will learn, they'll grow. But if the person feels that I'm not going to learn as much, if and therefore on a normal day-to-day scenario, they wouldn't do it, mm-hmm. 
adding an extrinsic um, benefit or motivation we'll here push them to go could ahead. push them to do something that's valuable. And if you try and do this like 100 times, that intrinsic motivation and value that you get out of it will multiply. Mm. Um, and that's what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. So Daniel just, just Daniel just went through a lot of stuff there. And I want, I want to tie it a little bit here and also also bring across into the conversation a little bit. Now, we're, we're talking about, you know, you, Daniel mentioned about behavioral economics, right? And of course, you know, the the problem earlier that uh, Daniel raised with the anecdote about, you know, choosing Instagram over, over say, LinkedIn or some other platform, right? This is a, a problem that can be related in behavioral economics. You know, individuals are irrational. Sometimes, you know, things that are, the choices that are outside that might be good for you in the long run, you know, they, they, they won't do it. They just, they just go for the short term gain. Even, even if they know in their hearts that it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, harmful to them or their own careers or their own futures. So, exp- so, so to tie it all back together, could you help explain, Pras, how, how all these incentives help to sort of like overcome that barrier of uh, irrationality? Uh, yeah, thanks. Actually, you kind of pointed out the right word, barrier. Yeah. <laughs> Some point of, sometimes, I mean, humans, we just, impose barriers on ourselves yeah. knowingly or unknowingly and the unknowingly part is what you're referring to as irrational yeah so as dan kind of mentioned you know all these 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 factors that 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 define predominantly what's in it for me is, is the first question that comes in mm. is it worth it and can i afford to do it at this point in time mm. so over here when when you have these things plus there will be external factors which will be levitating you or gravitating you towards one side or the other mm-hmm. and that's where this the beauty of this crowding out effect actually comes in mm-hmm. so irrationality things that you can't control because it's human behavior addiction to a particular kind of behavior yeah. self-harming stuff which is what you're talking about like smoking and things like that yeah. these all can be patterned and changed I mean there's scientific studies that state that as well which very well apply to behavioral economics mm-hmm. economics is just the addition of incentives yeah. to achieve behavior modification mm-hmm. so in a nutshell that's kind of where it is moving towards and that's kind of what underpins this. In, in theory, this actually goes into several layers of, of details, which I'd rather not bore the audience <laughs> with. But definitely, it's an interesting field of study. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. It's, it's, it's almost in a sense that, you know, Daniel was talking about how, you know, uh, the, the non, um, sort of non-tangential aspect of the tokens is sort of like, you know, goodwill. You know, maybe, maybe if, if you're trying to help out a friend or a friend is asking for help, there is some value to that. In the sense that you, you, you provide some, um, some goodwill to them in return and then there's some incentive for you to do that. But now with tokens, you make it really, really explicit that there's something to be gained. And that's where you sort of like, uh, uh push, push them past the barriers to go and do, do all this, uh, all these sort of things. All right. That is, uh, fantastic. And, and I just want to get into, to the, the, the other aspect a little bit deeper, that of blockchain, right? Mm-hmm. Because blockchain plays a very key role in what Sokol is doing. So people out there who are not really clear, could you explain, you know, what exactly is blockchain technology and how does it feature in, in Sokol? Yeah. Okay. I think blockchain is, is a technology that originated in a paper that was written, that was kind of written by the founder of Bitcoin or, or whoever was supposed to be the founder of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. Mr. Satoshi Nakamoto. And, uh, we don't even know if it's a mister, but <laughs> leaving that aside, yeah. he said it was a, a chain of blocks and somebody put a marketing spin on it and came up with the word blockchain. So it wasn't him who invented this, but that's the word. But, yeah. um, Leaving the interesting part about its origins, uh, the blockchain stood for something that was kind of missing and that was kind of creating a lot of uh, difficulties in, in the way the world operates today. People feel they are under kind of extremely controlled environment, not having the right level of uh, uh, feeling of security about a neutral venue and, 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 and other aspects that come in their daily life. Hmm. So that's where the definition of a blockchain comes in as a decentralized, distributed, immutable ledger. So this was the original definition of blockchain. Okay. Decentralized is, is the ability to be able to kind of distribute responsibilities yeah. and have the power to act. Hmm. Distribution is just purely distribution of, of workload or, or, or incentives and stuff like that. And, and immutability is mm-hmm. you're actually having a cryptographically secured ledger mm-hmm. that cannot be tampered with once a particular event has happened. Mm-hmm. And this is important because today, if you have uh, an account with a bank and, and tomorrow there's a hack on the bank's database and shows your balance is zero tomorrow, there's nothing you can do yeah. unless you've been copiously taking your 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 bank statements and going back. Yeah. But imagine if it was a cryptographically secured ledger that is backed by tens and thousands of computers that one, the cost of breaking it is also too high. Mm-hmm. And and also second, it by itself is, is designed in a way that it's difficult to break. Then you actually have a secure trustless environment. You don't have to trust any particular one party. Mm. It's being secured by a community. So having that kind of a layer or a ledger into which you can park things is enormously liberating to mm. a lot of business use cases. And even in Sokol's cases, aside from the fact that you can you can host a token economy, 
mm-hmm. on top of a public publicly trustable but trust is optional kind of ledger <laughs> so that part of sockle actually fits in quite well into the into the, the blockchain scheme of things it's a direct use case mm-hmm. and as dan was mentioning in fact the the part about having reputations being registered and being actually accounted for yeah. certified and yeah. not being tamperable yeah. tamper proof in that sense mm-hmm. is also where blockchain comes in mm-hmm. It's fascinating, and 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 you brought up the point about you know if you if you if you and, and I want to go a little bit deeper into the, the the whole idea of like decentralization, right? So of course now nowadays in in today's society what we have is sort of a decentralized system. You you talked about how you know if you have money in a central bank if you lost it you know then then um then you can't you can't have any recourse to it, right? So how is that sort of different from from what blockchain purports to be? What kind of value can it bring to society? Okay, so this is more about an argument of centralization versus decentralization, yeah. and and the comparatives. So uh, the the best example for this is actually databases. Hmm. Again, it comes back to the point that centralization, uh, in some sense, is 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 having one version of a ledger and only one person has a say as to what it is. Hmm. Decentralization is I have a community of people, all of us through a through a mechanism called consensus protocol, mm-hmm. which is all of us. Agree. There is no agree to disagree. You have to eventually agree at some point. So that's <laughs> yeah. the beauty of decentralization. What decentralization does is, in in a, in a very centralized world, people f- perceive a sense of inequality and not having a say and things like that. People perceive that that power equation kind of tilted against their favor more often than yeah. not. Yeah. This is like a negative feeding cycle. Leads to negative energy, lesser motivation, lesser productivity. So it's like a negative feeding cycle. Yeah. While with decentralization, when people say, "Okay, I seem to have a say in it. I'm part of this whole movement," so therefore. You know, you go into a decentralized world where people feel a bit empowered. Mm. So that's the kind of the basic difference I would put in. Interesting, interesting. All right, so, 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 knowing that, right? I just want to ask, you know, when when you were building up Soko and the product and introducing all these different elements, all these different technologies, right? So, what was the thought process behind including the uh, the technology and digital coins with Soko? And you know, why not just use fiat currency instead to to provide all the incentives that that you're currently purporting with uh, with uh, with Soko? Yeah. Okay, I think Dan pointed out pretty pretty actively the concept of tokens being that value that allows you to go over this barrier of not using things. Mm. I mean, regular fiat. I think we all get pocket money as kids and stuff. We grew up <laughs> with that life. But beyond a point, if you were to to be asked to do something with regular fiat, you may not be motivated as yet. Hmm. And also, you, when you have a digital currency and stuff, it's right there in your mobile and stuff. You just don't even have to move or move places, take it from your wallet and do stuff. It, the convenience of electronic uh, access actually reduces barriers. Hmm. That is a very, very fundamental thing that people often kind of underestimate its value. So the faster circulation and ability. Aside from that, blockchain and token technology is already established. It is safe and secure to a large extent as long as you understand its boundaries. Hmm. I see. I see. But, but, but what what would you say to critics who say that okay, you know, you know, it, it's it's all nice that you can you can earn all these the digital tokens and stuff. But but maybe the but but there's only like a limited use in, in that case for the tokens, you know. And, and maybe that its value is a uh, is only tied to to what what you can spend it on within software itself. So how would you respond to people who say that? So my answer to that question is, what we are trying to create is something where people are not spending their fat fiat money on. No one is. Again, this goodwill thing. Hmm. I'm not. Get, I'm, you, I'm not getting paid. I'm not doing. I'm not getting anything for, for answering questions on LinkedIn. Hmm. Um, and therefore, it's an underutilized market of yeah. my knowledge and experience. Yeah. The usage of these tokens will open up that market. Hmm. So it's a it's a it's a different market. It's a different ball game of using tokens in a smart way. So by using tokens to unlock something that I would otherwise not do. Is the answer to the question, uh, and and this decentralizing um, concept will be you know will also help to incentivize users, because what we are, what we are actually effectively saying as well is that in the end state in the grand scheme of things, when a company like Soka is fully decentralized, and decisions of how everything is being run is made by people and not just two people. Mm. Um, that's very powerful. And can we have a Facebook earning billions of dollars every quarter, but not controlled by Facebook? Hmm. And where does the money go? Hmm. Uh, and can it be used in a way to benefit the world, not based on just a few people making a decision, but people who are worldwide, um, who are using the platform actually? Hmm. So that's the that is really the power of decentralization. The critics do work, however, in certain scenarios whereby the the platforms that are being created. Are narrow. Uh, they're very narrow focus. For example, is to decentralize 
certain way of living and it's just supposed to give power back to like certain groups of people. What we're trying to really create is, uh, as you, some of you will know, like Bitcoin as a proof of work. Yeah. Um, and then for companies or platforms like us, we, are, we were looking at trying to create something called a proof of learning, mm-hmm. which is people that I help, um, I spend 30 minutes with a person mm-hmm. that's deemed as a proof of learning that a person has done, mm-hmm. that has person has received a value. Mm-hmm. Um, to get to the end state, to get to the end state where something is fully decentralized and can stand time, um, even without a company like Soka running it, mm-hmm. will be something whereby it's a proof of, to us, a proof of future. Where a platform can run by itself, um, redistribute what people are earning on the platform um, and give it to the right people who needs it most. Mm. Um, that is a much grander and bigger scheme which right now cannot be done by existing technologies in blockchain based on scalability issues and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but it is something that we feel um, with that level of complexity of um, the thought, the deep thought that's put into it can stand the, the, can stand the test of time. Mm. You know, you know th- to be honest here, when, when I was doing my research for this episode, right, you know, reading through some of the posts that you put up on, uh, on, on your blog page, you know, reading, going through your slides, you know, mm-hmm. you, you talk about creating a meaning, making social networks more meaningful, making them help, tr- tr- trying to make them uh, be more beneficial to individuals in the long run. You know, now that you've described, you know, all these benefits, you know, all, 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 all the decentralization, all the power, that, all the incentive changes that you're going to introduce. Now I'm trying, I'm finally sort of seeing the future here with, uh, with what Soko is trying to do and how they're trying to make, you know, a social network smarter. It's not, it's not just that you're going to introduce coins that people can just, you know, throw away and, and use as, as, as and when they want. Is that, you're giving them stake in the game, which is something that you know s- platforms such as Facebook or LinkedIn doesn't have doesn't have today. Is that although although yes, you know there are people posting uh, stuff about you know yeah I'm I'm going through this project, I'm looking for partners, and you know you can you can definitely interact that way. It's now now you just now now you're creating a system where you make that explicit and and you mm. give you give people the ability and 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 uh, all all the tools that you need to to go and achieve what you want or or how they can improve yeah. themselves. That, that's that's yeah. a very very. Very, very accurate statement. Yeah. Um, and what we think about that is uh, social networks are, it's an old name. It's, mm. it's old. It's 10 years old. Nothing has evolved since then. <laughs> um, social networks were about connecting people. Yeah. Just linking people together. Yeah. Um, to us, the new social network will be a social, econo- a social economy. Mm. That will be the version 2.0 of a social network. And this is an economy where people come together and don't just network, but they are actually networking. You know, that they're actually going out actively, aggressively, trying. They're encouraged. They want to grow. Yeah. Um, users of the platform, uh, sort of being soccerless, are users of the platform. Mm-hmm. And soccerless, from what we are trying to create, are people who are at the forefront of humankind. Mm-hmm. People who are motivated, encouraged, who want to be part of the future and create it mm-hmm. together with a group of people. Who are um, who are along with them on the same journey? So that's the that's the that's the goal that we're trying to achieve in soccer. Yeah, I, I, I really I really like the part where you talk about now. You know, you're trying to you're trying to move beyond social networks and try to make it different. And I think this is certainly in line with what we've seen in how the sharing economy has developed, right? And and you know, with like like Uber, Airbnb, how technology has introduced markets to do these sort of things. And, and in a sense, it is very similar. It's like. Yeah, yeah. If you have a place to stay, you know, uh, if your friend asks, you know, yeah, you, you might let them stay. But if a stranger exactly, says, definitely, exactly. definitely no. Yeah. Right. But but then now now you're trying to do that with social networks, trying to do that with projects, trying to do that with skills. Yeah. And it, it it's I don't know. It gives me goosebumps when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm really, really excited about well, what you could introduce uh, in the future. So now that we've discussed, uh, you know, the problems that you've seen with techno- technological disruption and, you know, how Soko aims to solve these problems, we suddenly got into like the nitty gritty of that. I'd like to bring it back to a more macro level uh, discussion of how Soko will fit in the market, right? So firstly, 
Uh, although Sokol may be unique in you know being the first sort of smart social network or trying to be the first smart social network, solutions that help that the aim to help individuals improve have been around for years and are constantly innovating, right? So you know these days, you know uh, other than signing up for Sokol, you you can you can go online and you have the free you, you can you can take free online courses. You know you have private tutoring matching services, which is what you tried to do early on. Yeah, so or, or even government-sponsored programs such as you know Skills Future, uh, SG. So compared to these solutions, you know how do you think Sokol will fare? Okay. Um well, the way that I'll answer that question typically is when someone asks me, well, how about um, Udemy? My mm. answer to that question is Udemy doesn't help you in personal development. I mean, it helps you in one course, mm. but you still have to figure out what you want to do. Mm. And today, that's something that you have to decide yourself. But if you don't know something exists, you can't search for it. And that, that, that is kind of um, like you can't Google the future because mm-hmm. you have no idea. You, you don't know. No one is telling you that the future is A, B, C, D, F, G. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you know like there are 100 things out there that you can try and grab yeah. you could then go go on to it so what we're trying to do is, is actually um, above, uh, one level above all of those points that one, all of those platforms that you mentioned um, SkillsFuture we, we are actually quite close with SkillsFuture as well mm-hmm. so they are helping us to do the testing as well for our platform mm-hmm. um, we will probably hook up to some of their, their courses in the, in the future mm-hmm. um, but it, again this is also like a, a smart nation initiative where um, we are trying to make it a smart, uh, smart learning nation. Mm. <laughs> All right. So it, it seems that users with nothing to provide or those that have little starting capital, right, will find it difficult to acquire the soft coins to better themselves, right? Either because so 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 don't you think this impose, imposes a sort of a large starting cost for users if they're unable to acquire the currency in the first place that they can use to better themselves? <coughs> okay. So. Um, we don't use SOC tokens as an entry into the system. Mm. Uh, it's a it's a game. So think of it as purely, as literally like a War of Warcraft in a LinkedIn setting. <laughs> so you go through quest. There's a storyline. The storyline is to solve some problems. Uh, maybe build the first quantum computer. I've said the same example a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> build the first quantum computer. To do that, you have to do these 10 things beforehand. Yeah. And then you get to certain levels. You can unlock certain skills. Yeah. So what happens here is the user gets to earn the, earn the token after he has progressed and learned and self-studied in quite a few things. So for example, to build my first quantum computer, I have to learn quantum physics. Mm. Um, my, I'm studying marketing. No way that I was, anyone's teaching me quantum physics. Mm. So what this system will do is to tell me, okay, quantum physics, these are the 10 topics. Um, these are some of the questions you need to answer. Hmm. for the first task that I'm giving you. Hmm. So the user will go through the first task, which is what we call a deep dive, which is two users coming together, study on the same topic, and the system will give them a few questions that they have to answer. Hmm. So the user will, will research those uh, answers, put into the system, and they can gain experience and gain levels. Hmm. Uh, they, will, they will be able to unlock the ability to earn tokens by mentoring other people um, by hitting a certain level. And these people who will be who might be um, able to get the tokens in a similar way or they can also purchase the tokens. Um, and so users can actually earn um, by learning um, and then getting to the level where they can. And then deep dive is the first one. Um, then we will have other types of um, challenges that open up based on the level. So we will hit level 10, 15. Mm. We have other ones like brainstorming, enlighten. Yeah. Uh, there is a brainstorm. There is all, all kinds of different tasks. We have yeah. nine that we are designed. Yeah that users can go through. And at a certain point, they can either, uh, they can use the tokens in two, three ways. Number one, um, rather they can use what they have learned in three ways. Number one, they can exchange it for merchant um, vouchers mm-hmm. or gift cards, or they can use it to power up the experience gain, which will increase their ability to get the levels faster. And number three, they can give it to a friend so that they can use it and do projects. So there are a few ways whereby the users can go. Oh, actually, I'm, 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 I can have options to to use what I've learned, yeah, um, to better my community or myself. Yeah. So this is, there is, kind of not a lot of. Um, I mean, the 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 entry point is is is, I think, designed in a way whereby it's still realistically, done. Yeah. Yeah, but I think some of the statements that Dan made are actually quite powerful if you had looked into the inner meaning of what he tried to say. For situations, mm-hmm. for example, like one illustration that Dan commonly references to is like in, in college you have buddies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you, you have this intangible goodwill and things coming in. Yeah. 
what if today you're an expert, you can just get so many things done, you're earning so many coins, but you want to help your, your brother in, in college mm-hmm. and, and you want to give him tokens so that he can access himself other services when you're not available or, or he has other requirements. Mm. These are kind of other kind of interactions and economics that today are not unlocked. Mm. So these kind of new possibilities, and that's when, when, when Dan says possibilities are endless, kind of this is what he means and alludes towards. Mm. So those are some of the, the, the key elements that are very, very interesting in, into how you see the interplay of economics. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's really fascinating too. And, and I can't help but smile, right? When, when Dan mentioned how, you know, soccer is going to be like World of Warcraft mixed with LinkedIn together, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and the way you describe, you know, how you're going to go through soccer as a user, how you're going to begin, how you're going to, how you're going to generate coins, how you're going to use up, and the different, uh, the endless possibilities of, of, of interaction that you could generate with all these, uh, tokens, right? You know, I, I have a question here to, that, that talks about behavioral economics, right? And how, how, you know, it's sort of like, will overcome uh, all these irrational barriers, which I've raised in an earlier point, right? And I think now, right, I- I'm already excited to try <laughs> to try it on. Thank try you, already. Yeah, welcome to yeah. our access. We're very glad to hear that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's, it's not common whereby, whereby you hear of people saying, you know, you know, for example, and, and, and I think this is really powerful, right? Because trying to get better in the real world normally requires a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, right? No pain, no gain. You want to lose, you want to lose weight, you gotta diet, you gotta exercise. You, you wanna, you wanna get to that better job, you gotta study, you gotta work, work your crazy long hours, right? Or you wanna become an entrepreneur, you gotta slave and, and do all this and all that. But here it's soccer. Here it's, <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> yep. And it's coming see, and, and it's not necessarily the case that, you know, all these, uh, all, all these improve, improving yourself is gonna be, is gonna be easier, right? But it's certainly, it's gonna make it more fun. Along the way, and and I think I think that's one of the the real you know amazing values that that it, it brings you know ultimately which uh, incentivizes and and helps individuals to want to improve themselves yeah which which I think as uh as um as Pras mentioned earlier you know alluding back to to the topic of behavioral economics is a huge huge barrier for for humans and today. We, we we have to thank uh, Blizzard and War for Crossbones. <laughs> you know, it was very interesting because when we we know that when we're trying to create a tokenized economy, yeah. we had to gamify it to, in order for people to feel incentivized to use it. Mm. So uh, the process wasn't that straightforward. What we did was, okay, how do we create a gamified, gamified economy? Mm. And then he was like, why don't we just take something that's using, that is being, that's working right now? Mm. An MMO. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and thankfully, I was a hardcore gamer and together with, we were, we were both gamers, uh, yeah. Yeah. a long time ago and we were like, and that was, I think that's the same background as Vitalik from yeah. uh, Ethereum. <laughs> yeah. we, we, so being able to, then we were like, okay, why does it work so well? So exactly everything that we are designed so far, like coming up with the challenges, the storyline, mm-hmm. and having the sub-quests in between, mm-hmm. is, they're all borrowed concepts. And we, but at the same time, we were trying to understand why did it work so well in World of Warcraft? What kind of theories do they use? And can we adopt a similar theory? Mm-hmm. And how can we use it? So... We actually spent quite a lot of time trying to come up with all these different mechanisms. Um, there are quite a lot of things that we were, we are still thinking about whether how we can implement it. For example, crafting or auction houses in some form here and there, yeah. a virtual world. Yeah. Um, even to the extent of other type of gamification uh, models like virtual reality. So we are thinking of even going one step ahead to implement challenges or tasks in a virtual reality setting. So one of them that we're looking at doing is like a decode or demystify, which would transport users to like a, a Da Vinci Code setting to demystify and decode problems. And if four or five of your friends can come together wearing a virtual reality headset yep. and go to a certain place <laughs> to solve a challenge as if you're all in the same room, yeah, that's very powerful. So we have actually one of our team members who is who is a VR developer. Yeah. So he's going to help us to, to design that. It's crazy. And you should just imagine the setting is a Da Vinci Code. There's a Mona Lisa with, with an answer to quantum computing answer. You, know, <laughs> go find. you can just imagine how fun it gets. <laughs> don't, don't you have a little bit of worry that you might be making it a little bit too fun? <laughs> <laughs> After all, learning is not fun these days, as Dan said. That's our whole point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, and, and as we're coming to the end um, uh, of this episode, I just want to tie back you know, to all these, uh, and, and take it back to a really, really big macro issue, you know. So earlier on, I talked about the problem of, uh, you know, structural unemployment, talk about how AI is going to, is going to kick our asses, make us unproductive, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be unable to fight back in the future, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think 
this is the grander grander meaning uh, behind soccer. And what and what soccer is trying to do is here is something that can help you fight back, really. And and and, and this is why <laughs> this is this is why I find it, I find it so amazing and so and so powerful what you're trying to do today. And with that brings the the end to today's episode. Thank you to Daniel and Pras for coming on and being such wonderful guests. Oh, no worries, anytime. Yeah. yeah thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Very good <laughs> chat. Thank you. Yeah. I wish you the very best for Soko and very very much anticipate its release. So, is there any Soko related, any other Soko related news sure. that you'd like to share, or is there somewhere that you know listeners can reach out if they're interested sure. in Soko? Yeah. So, we we do plan to release our alpha version in the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, by end of the month, um, we will have the beta version ready. So, mm-hmm. on the website itself, soko.com, you'll be able to register for the alpha um, testing. Mm-hmm. Um, welcome to join us. Give us feedback. We are looking for um, students who are extremely interested in in marketing who are interested in helping out mm-hmm. any actually any area because we're building an economy so we need all kinds of um, help talent mm-hmm. and we are the type of people who go um, we don't go you're young you're old what kind of person you are there's always an opportunity to learn grow yeah. um, and we, we would like to get uh, if anyone has any of uh, would like to kind of help out or give feedback get some tokens along the way so, so we are more than happy to, to, to talk about yeah absolutely just to add on to Dan's points of course Dan is running an active bounty program as well <laughs> so which will come up evident and and the website is Sokol spelled as S-O-Q-Q-L-E yeah. to all listeners yeah. so it does sound so cool so you should definitely try it out and then re- definitely reach out to Dan there's a fantastic thing going on here alright actually just to kind of the last point that he just mentioned so Soka is supposed to help you find your Soka of friends <laughs> <laughs> and it's also supposed to be helping you to soccer your career so it's like a Google mm. your your future mm-hmm. so uh, you can't Google the future mm. but you can soccer it yeah it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you so much yeah. alright thank you To the listeners out there, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you came away from this episode, you know, feeling excited and energized about the future, about your prospects, about trying to improve yourself. Certainly, it's one of the reasons why I keep doing this podcast and one of the reasons that I'm going to keep harping on in the future is all this excitement around innovation and how they're going to make our lives better, how it's going to change economies, and how it's going to make a big, big difference So if you want to help out the podcast, you can do so by liking, sharing, and subscribing to the Economical Rice Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Or you can leave any feedback or questions on the various social media pages such as Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Once again, this has been your host, Danny, at the Economical Rice Podcast. We're over here. We have to serve you the grains of capitalism.